There we go. You want to give us any updates to anything going on? I should say that last week I said I thought that uh, Ruth Stocky would, would finish the proofreading by the end of August, but uh, I may have spoken a little too soon on that. It's a little more work than than, than that, given her mm -hmm. schedule and so forth. So, <laughs> but um, I'm still expecting to be out this year. So um, she had responded to that to Grinish and he showed it to me and I felt like I should say something. Mm -hmm. but, um, otherwise, everything's good and my health is uh, much better now. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and take the questions. Okay, um, Krishna Chaitanya. There we go. Krishna, good morning. Good morning. I'm coming through. Okay. Um, I was reading Jaya Dharma the other day, and a discussion was going on between. Um, it was a Vijay Kumar and uh, Goswami. And while they were discussing things about the gopis, a uh, Vaishnav came in and an impersonalist came in and it said that they stopped talking about what they were talking about because it was forbidden to talk about Rasakata while anyone with a male who thought of themselves with a male body was present. So they discussed small talk with the Vaishnav and the impersonalist. And then when they left, they resumed their discussion. And it just made me wonder just different considerations as far as talking about certain subject matters. Uh, I know they were talking about Victoria Rasa in Gopi topics and compare and contrasting talking about Sakya Rasa amongst, amongst people and these Gopi topics amongst certain people. How, what are your thoughts as far as like just discussing these things and where to draw the line on certain topics with certain uh, right. Well, I think, uh, you know, one has to use the, their own discrimination and um, and times are, are different now. One thing that's different, um, for example, in terms of lines that, that Migra Marsh's Prabhupada drew in his time is that um, persons now getting involved have much more information available to them as to what Gaudiya Vaishnavism amounts to. Um, the fact that there are other living vital lineages, for example, outside of his own. Um, there are books other than his own available in English and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, given that, for example, it would seem that um, that that you could move that uh, line from uh, where he had drawn it, coming to America, for example, for the first time to talk to hippies and 
and uh, and so on. So you know, you one has to use the discrimination. Without even notice drawing a particular line there, it would be interesting to read this the Sanskrit. It might have said Purushabhav. Uh, we shouldn't talk about Gopi Bhav, but the, around those who are absorbed in Purushabhav. Um, um, but you might have said male body. I, I, again, I didn't have to look at the Beng we have to look at the Bengali, but um, but I think uh, it holds true, male or female, the bodily conception of life. Now it's kind of odd in that you know you, you the other two were also spiritual people, and the Maya body was. I guess it was a it was a Maya body in the group, Nuetan. Uh, they're not thinking that they're their body, <laughs> that they're the body, or that they're a male or a female. Um, so it, exactly what he's where he's drawing the line there, I'm not sure. But again, I mean, um, this is just a kind of a common sense thing, and if we don't have common sense, then then, then we'll we'll fail. That being that in any kind of explanation of aspects of our philosophy, we have to determine the measure, in a broad sense at least, of the eligibility of those to whom we're talking so that we speak to them at a level that they'll be able to benefit and digest and so forth, rather than um, go uh, over their heads. Um, and that's not just with regard, like I say, to Rasa Tattva, but uh, the, by the entirety of the, um, you know, the composite of, of Gaudiya philosophy. Um, so, then, um, you know, to go back to Rasa Tattva in particular, well, that's the higher end, you know, of the, of the, of the philosophy. And then one thing is to talk about that Rasa Tattva, another thing is, is not to be talking about the Tattva, the underlying philosophy and theology um, of Bhakti Rasa, which is one thing, but to be speaking about Rasa itself, Lila Kata, um, and so on, which could sound to an informed um, like Gramikata, you know, village talk. Um, and uh, and and be misunderstood. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, when we get to that, exalted Vaishnava is speaking about uh, the 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 lila per se, um, and and that, as I say, more so than the underlying tattva. Well, you know, you, the higher you go like that, that's the higher end the less um, there are those who are qualified to participate in and take advantage of it. And uh, it does also lend itself to being misunderstood readily because of its, its likeness in appearance to you know, ordinary um, affairs I of, uh, of this world. I've often said that Vyas in the Bhagavatam is walking a tightrope between Aishvari and Madhurya, between the, the sweetness and the intimacy of the conception of Krishna and then the fact that he's God and he's trying to balance to talk about the sweetness and then you're going to find in the context that a couple of verses about the fact that he's God, even in the Leela uh, chapters and so forth to keep it in, per, in, in perspective. And then you've got, you know, nine cantos building up to the 10th canto. 
um, and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, you, I can't give you an answer that, you know, you can only speak this much to this many people, you know, and it's just a general, general principle. One has to use common sense and, you know, it, it's, uh, you may misread the situation and find out that you're misreading the situation and realize from the questions that people ask, that you were over their head, and then you can come back and you know um, address it again. Um, to so it, it, it's hard to go wrong entirely, if you will, and some benefit will be there, I would suppose, in any in any event. But yeah, just some 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 common sense. Um, but I would, in general, say as I um, did at the onstart of my answer that where Prabhupada drew the line, if you will, was very much inappropriately so in consideration of the time and the circumstances and the time and the circumstances have changed uh, considerably um, now. Um, and so there's a, um, I wouldn't, I, as I say, I wouldn't be um, intimidated by 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 the line that he drew. And sometimes you get that kind of reaction, you know. Even we wrote a book, we, we put together a book um, that was penned by uh, Ashram Maharaj, who oh, my friend, and then some of the reaction that we got from some of Prabhupada's disciples, where we're not supposed to talk about that, you know. The book was only about what Prabhupada said <laughs> himself personally, and then reasoning, you know, about the implications of it and so forth. <laughs> and uh, you know, we, you know, on one particular subject about his own affinity for Sakuras, all in one one place. Um, so those kind of cautions based on Prabhupada didn't talk about. Well, he did talk about it. He talked about it here, here, and and the, the distance between those things, and it wasn't his main. Um, emphasis, if you will, he, he didn't come out with it constantly in every lecture, like Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, or you're not the body, and um, so on and so forth. <clears throat> but it's all there. And uh, it would seem, you know, at the time that we came out with it, was appropriate time to come out with for, any, for, for a number of, of different reasons. Um, <clears throat> so to voice those types of cautions and the line that Prabhupada drew and so on as, as, a, as a way of saying such, such book shouldn't be published or something like that is, is to misunderstand, I think, and not have the, um, exercise the kind of common sense that I'm uh, speaking about. So I hope that helps. Okay. Try. Um, so, John, you want to ask your question? Yes, thank you, Didi. Dandavats Maharaj. Following up a bit with um, a little dialogue that, that we had a couple of satsangs ago regarding uh, Pujapad Sri Srila Vrindas Thakur Mahashai. Vrindavandas Thakur. Vrindavandas Thakur. Yes, yes. Um, I was, uh, I'm in the midst of the chapter about the glories of Morari Gupta 
and uh, Mahaprabhu is sitting with, um, with Murari Gupta um, and just having a perfectly wonderful time and joking with him and having this lovely exchange. And then, I quote, suddenly the Lord's mood changed. He became angry, grinding his teeth loudly. He began to manifest his supreme identity. He said, a sannyasi named Prakashananda living in Kash has the audacity to try and inflict pain upon my person. He is a teacher of Vedanta philosophy, but does not accept the existence of my supreme form. I have punished him by making tract leprosy, and yet he fails to understand. And this goes on a bit. So um, it feels, uh, uh, now this particular passage is not found in other biographies of Mahaprabhu. Uh, so, uh, of course, there, there's such a there's such a, a delightful kind of exchange uh, between Mahaprabhu and Prakashananda Saraswati in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, um, which of course you know very well. Uh, so, again, uh, with a little bit of uh, you know uh, gentle and uh, respectful um, complaint that uh, one of our Param Gurus, Srila uh, Vrindavan Das Thakur, um, it seems and feels as if, and this is not the only occasion, uh, but through, throughout the book, especially in the Madhya, he appears to be presenting, you know, the Supreme Lord uh, as, uh, you know, the uh, volatile, angry, unforgiving, you know, God uh, as presented or depicted in, in Judaism and, uh, and, uh, and Islam uh, scriptures like that or teachings. So I just wanted to kind of get your, your take on that. Well, I think that um, I'm not sure that that is not mentioned anywhere else. Um, perhaps, and if it is, perhaps more briefly, um, Mahaprabhu making an outburst about Prakasanda Saraswati. Um, um, but especially the part about punishing him with leprosy like that. Well, yeah. And the statements are uh, either from Chaitanya Bhagavad or other places. He says, I have no, you know, I'm deaf, dumb, and blind. Hmm? Because actually, I'm so I'm Bhagawan. I actually have eyes. I have. I can't see. I can't talk. I'm not impersonal. I actually have an eternal form, which is the is the import of it all. Um, and he's espousing a philosophy which, in part or inherently, um, can be construed to to say that Bhagawan's form is is illusory. It's it's only a manifestation of Satvaguna. It's not eternal. His qualities aren't eternal, his leelas aren't eternal, and so forth. So to, you know, to break that down, he's deaf, dumb, blind, uh, and so forth. So those are the kind of uh, remarks that I recall, and I'm, I'm not sure if he says that in Chaitanya Bhagavad, but I know it's said um, somewhat. But any, at any rate, um, I, you know, I think that uh, in one sense, you have to look at it philosophically, and there's a strong statement by an Acharya, it wouldn't be the only one, um, in opposition to a position taken 
by the Mayavad school um, um, with regard to the eternality of Krishna's form, Leela, pastimes, and so forth. An objection to that. And here Bhagavan himself is expressing that um, objection. Um, and uh, I don't recall that where the encounter between Prakashananda and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is described in Chaitanya Charjamrita that, that Prakashananda is described as having uh, leprosy. So um, you think it would be. Um, but um, I, know, I don't know. I would say, you know, in the least that these acharyas in their time and their circumstances have taken the liberty to express things rather strongly at, at times um, in their, uh, you know, narratives of Chaitanya's life in which they're trying to present a particular, um, well, his Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's philosophy and which doesn't um, match up with some of the other teachings out and about at the time and that they're in opposition to that are, I mean, you know, you could, you could be more polite about it, I suppose, um, but um, but and I, I suppose that you could characterize the Mayavad school in that way as being more polite and more um, um, indirect in what they say in terms of what the implications of it are. Hmm? Just like I'll give you an example. In the Mayavad school, it said, you know, we accept all the different schools. Hmm? In fact, we may even know the teachings of the school better than some of the teachers in those schools because we, you know, we're, we're jnanis. We, we, we study very carefully. Um, they could be more schooled in Jiva Goswami's teaching than some, than many Gaudiya Vaishnavas can. Uh, so they embrace all the schools. It's, it's looked at as the, here's this really broad, broad, accommodating, pluralistic perspective, right? Um, all the schools are just different ways of expressing uh, um, or pursuing, uh, expressing something about the absolute in pursuance of attaining uh, transcendence through the different cultural uh, uh, culture, language, and so forth, whether it be the Sufis or whether it be the Gaudias or the Ramanujas or the Mystic Christians, they're all they're all saying something different, but they're actually all saying something the same. And this sounds very broad and accommodating and very very nice, but 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 they're what they're they're actually saying is that is that however, if you look carefully, what these schools are saying about the nature of transcendence is all wrong. So because the Gaudis say that their sadhana is their sadhya. So they're doing bhakti and worship, for example, 
in sadhana and bhakti and worship continues in transcendence. But in the Mayavad school, all these different paths that they seem to be accommodating of, they're radically opposed to the conclusions of these schools themselves, none of which say our school ends in, in, in an impersonal, if you will, um, um, uh, indeterminate uh, identification with yeah, merging with an indeterminate substance. Um, I mean, that's not what the Christians are teaching. That's not what, not what the Gaudis do. It's not what the Ramanujas or the Mudras are teaching and so forth. So it sounds very accommodating, but if you look very carefully, that as Gaudias have, they find to be rather insidious. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said in Chaitanya Charitamrita, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the paraphrasing, if you will, in poetic paraphrasing of Pujapatrita Marge, um, that uh, half truth is worse, worse than no truth at all. Hmm? In other words, this is in regard to the Buddhists compared to the Mayavadins. The Buddhists often come out and say, there is no God. Hmm? The Mayavadis say, there is, but, <laughs> but it's not eternal and it doesn't have a form and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So half truth is worth the no truth at all. <laughs> so so they do take, you know, considerable, many Godias, Vrindavan does, Chaitanya Charitamrita is very strident in its opposition to uh, <coughs> Or out, out, outwardly giving examples and so forth. Now, the, the Goswamis, Jiva Goswami, Sanatha Goswami, they're, they're more subtle about it, but still. So, you know, they look at it like, hey, you know, you're throwing the first stone. <laughs> they're they're, uh, they're Mayavads. I mean, I mean, to give you an example, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna Skabiraj Goswami says, the teaching of Shankar in the section that you're speaking about when Mahaprabhu was speaking with Prakashananda Saraswati, the idea that your teacher Shankar is saying that Yasa doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me explain what he's actually saying. Because the idea of the two tiers of Brahman, a, 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 a uh, what, what, is this, what is this term? Uh, you have the indeterminate Brahman, then you have the determinate Brahman, the determinant Brahman being a manifestation of Satpaguna and just something to focus on in the interim until you attain the Nirguna mm -hmm. uh, in indeterminate absolute. Um, this, this, this idea of Shankar's has no place in the sutras itself. He adds that in, mm -hmm. I think, in the 18th, his commentary on the 18th sloka or verse, it's a sutra, I say, of, of, of the first. Uh, um, um, very first chapter of Vedanta Sutra. So it, it's rather crude language if you look at it. And it he said, your, your teacher, teacher is teaching that Vyas didn't know what he was, Vyas Pranta, Pranta means like crazy, didn't know what he was talking about. And I'm here to tell you, you know, what it should be. So, you know, they take pretty strong position against that. And, 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 and one of the reasons is that, well, the Mayavad idea <coughs> is contrary to devotion in both in its um, 
um, what the in terms of what the ideal is, and in terms of the path as well. Um, so it's kind of like clear in the forest. Probably was very strong about this point too. Um, if you want to you know, grow, turn turn forest land into into pasture and agricultural land, well, you have to chop down some trees and so forth. But it's not again that the Mayabad school is 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 just is is um, they, they, may, they may say it in a more polite way, but it's rather insidious at, this, at the same time to say, you know, you know, your goal, what you say is, is an illusion. It's, 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 it, it doesn't exist. It's, it's, I mean, if they, if they come out and say it in that language, you might take exception to it. They don't say it exactly like that, but that is the implication of it. So that said, in the time of Chaitanya Bhagwat, Vrindavan Das, you know, reacted in that way. Now, in our times, we may react differently and say it more politely. Um, um, <clears throat> to depict Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, to be like the God of the Old Testament? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think that here he is, ecstatic in relationship with Mari Gupta. Imagine what their conversation was. And he's overwhelmed by a bhava. Hmm? It has to do with his dispensation and the other aspect of what he's about. He's there to establish the Yuga Dharma and the teaching, and he's also there to experience uh, ultimately, you know, um, Radha Bhav to taste uh, the highest reach of, 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 of rasa. So this other side comes on to him and. Um, <coughs> In Abhav, he expresses some um, um, uh, let's say displeasure with that kind of teaching and predicts you know that he will go there and and what did he do? So you have to look at the whole thing, you have to play the whole thing out. When sure. Mahap went there, what did how did he act? Hmm? He may have said something, like I may say something, that son of a you know. <laughs> when I'm talking to you, that guy, you know, but then if I'm going to go then talk to him, actually, I'm going to say it differently and, and I'm going to try to accomplish my goal of, of showing him that his opinion is, you know, is wrong and, and, and so on and so forth. So in, a, in, a, in an intimate circle, which you described Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was in, he might say, say it one way, but when he went <laughs> and talked to Prakastan and Saraswati, he, he sat down at the door where the sannyasins washed their feet and washed the feet of the Mayabadi sannyasins when they yes. came in. And he conquered, actually, Prakashananda Saraswati by his humility. Yes. By his humility, he created a teaching moment that, that allowed Prakashananda Saraswati to be, to be eager to hear from him what his teaching was, while in the meantime, in Benares, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was doing Sankirtan, and Prakasadana Saraswati in the background was criticizing, who is this sannyasi from Bengal? He's coming here dancing, and this is not the way of the sannyasi. Right, and right. reported to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Yeah. So when Mahaprabhu was on the scene, how he related to Prakasadana Saraswati, um, that has to be taken all into consideration. So I think you have to look at it like that. Again, in an intimate circle, he may say one thing, and how he does when he's there, you know, is another thing. And he converted Prakasananda Saraswati as, as it's related in Chaitanya Charitamrita 
after having created the philosophical or teaching moment by responding with Vedanta and saying, you know, the real Mahabhakya is not Tatvamasi, it's Om Pranava Omkar. This is the invocation of Omkar is uh, Achinti Veda Veda is basically what he explained there. So you have to look at the whole picture. You and your, you yourself may do the same thing and say, or I may do the same thing. I may react in an intimate circle. I hear somebody has said something and, you know, uh, like somebody says, uh, well, there are all kinds of things people say these days <laughs> in the world and within Godi Vaishnavas as well. But even in the world, some crazy people have some very crazy ideas and you might speak strongly about them. But then if you were to go and talk with them and try to change their mind, then uh, another mood would surface. So God has many moods. That's the answer. Yes. Yeah, Unfortunately, sure. sure. Unfortunately, the God in uh, the Old Testament seems to only have one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. See, that was, so I guess <clears throat> the, very, <coughs> the very main point for me in this wonderful exposition that you just so kindly gave is that uh, Mahaprabhu, it's, it's, it is likely that Mahaprabhu did not really give leprosy to Prakashananda Saraswati. It was just a poetic kind of expression on the part of Srila Vrindavan Das Thakur in order to convey a certain... Yeah. Uh, they take that kind of life. Those books are written with that kind of license taken. Mm -hmm. Okay. To make a point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, of course, part of Vaishnavism. Angers can also be included. Mm -hmm. Hanuman was angry and, you know, in the service of Ram. At, at Ravana and built the bridge that he could, so there's a there's a place for it, you know, which is a very interesting, you know, concept. Okay, good. Yes, thank you, Maharaj. Thank you so much. Rakesh Nandiki guy. Maharaj Gupaki guy. Dabhinav Sakhi guy. Um, Ganga Shakti, wanna. Yes, Gangashakti, question. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj Nandavat Pranam. Um, I was wondering about this notion of Dharmakshetra Kurukshetra in the first verse of um, Bhagavad Gita and rather why exactly they decided to do that big war exactly on the place for pilgrimage a place for religious rituals um i was just i mean i have always known that verse but i was recently wondering why exactly the whole war happened on exactly that place well i think the idea there is that what the war is is a determining as to uh, what what dharma ultimately is hmm? i mean you can look at it as a literal war hmm? or you could look at it more um, in, in in terms of a uh, war on the ego hmm? um, the, the uh, illusory ego or identification with 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 matter that causes us to think in terms of I in mind, I in mind, which is expressed by Dhritarashtra um, in, in that verse. What did my sons and the sons of Pandu do? You know, this is um, so that's what the book's about, and it's 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 an 
it's uh, Krishna declares war on the ego, and Arjun is um, uh, reticent to participate in the war, given that he's going to have to fight against his even his own teachers. Krishna brings the chariot up between the two armies and parks it right in front of um, uh, Bhishma and um, Dronacharya, the elder and teacher, respectively, of, of, of Arjuna. And you're going to have to slay them. And so the implication is that he's going to have to slay his attachments. Um, so it's, it's really, I, 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 I think, uh, to be looked at um, along those lines. That's the teaching, the literal war, how many people were killed, how many heads were cut off, and so on and so forth is, is, is not so important. Um, you know, it's often, there is often an emphasis that there was a real war, it really happened like this, this many people died, and so on and so forth. And there's a place to make that kind of emphasis. And I think in terms of Prabhupada's own emphasis in that regard, the, 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 what, he, what he felt was there's a place for this because if we just start to talk about it metaphorically, then there's the chance that the whole idea that Krishna is just a metaphor and this is just a myth uh, to make a, give a lesson and so forth, um, is you crack the door to that. And he didn't want to do that. And so he um, would say things like when asked, what is the implication of the five horses? And he would say, it takes five horses to you know, pull a chariot, you know. <laughs> he would give a literal kind of explanation. Um, but his literal explanation was in pursuit of the very, very esoteric idea that God has form. When form in our experience and in the teaching, materially speaking, is a limitation, um, uh, it's provincial, gives us a provincial perspective rather than a universal perspective, and so on and so forth. So it's a very esoteric idea to find form in transcendence after being taught of the limitations of form, materially speaking. It's very, it, it, it's, it's, it's uh, so. Rather than um, underscoring the philosophical, theological implications, which he did to some extent, hmm, as to Leela, why there's a need for Leela, why there, there must be movement in transcendence in order for there to be the full face of, of, of love and so forth. You could speak about that in very broad theological terms rather than in more specific terms hmm, of details of like like you could take the rather than seeing the lila as a metaphor to see it as an ontic reality that actually ex exists hmm, um, is one thing but then to say that it's more than what's there in the book <laughs> in other words the, the, to talk about lila is as an ontological reality hmm, is, 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 is one thing. Like if I, as long as my metaphysic is, is a chinti beta beta, then I can interpret the lila and take metaphorical meanings from it and so forth. 
and speak more about what the implication is that, that, that there, there, there is a situation in transcendence that involves an interaction that we could call love movement between the, the Atma and the Paramatma. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very broad way of speaking about it. And you can do that theologically and, and so on and so forth. And then you can also take the, the specifics narratives of the Leela and interpret them uh, non-literally, if you will, if your metaphysic is something like a Chinchu Beta Beta without doing away with the ontic status of the, of the Leela itself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Prabhupada wasn't, wasn't, wasn't so much doing that. He was just kind of emphasizing the, the ontic status of the Leela and speaking about it in a literal way, which had its value at that time, I can tell you, it was very helpful um, to us. Uh, but, um, but again, um, um, there's a, there, there is a place for and um, looking, for example, the Leela of the Bhagavad Gita as a battle for uh, that that life is about. Hmm? I mean, what what's life about? What's the world about? That's that's um, what is what is the meaning of life and its purpose? And what is the what meaning do you get from the symbols and signs of nature that doesn't talk? Nature is not limited by language, which is limited by logic, because you have a subject and an object, you have past, present, and future. Language was evolved, if you want to look at from a Darwinian perspective, to protect people. Hmm? There's a tiger over there, <laughs> a way of talking about it. You can get fruit at that tree over there. Hmm? It wasn't evolved to explain the, the whole truth of, 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 of reality, which transcends the limits of logic and the limits of language. Now, um, so nature, in a sense, is the paramatma thinking, the thought, the thoughts of the paramatma are manifest as what we call the external world. Now, scientific materialism doesn't look at it like that, but they're wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, 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 it's the thoughts of God, they have a shape, and the whole world is speaking to us kind of symbolically. That's why humanity's disconnect with nature is such an existential problem for humanity. So, to, if we anyway, if we listen, we listen to nature carefully. If we um, get out of our head, reflect enough to get out of our head and understand the limits of thought and the limits of logic. Um, in terms of capturing the truth, what did Godel, you know, that uh, mathematicians say, proof is, proof is not truth. <laughs> proof is not truth. <laughs> Logical proofs don't amount to what the truth is. You cannot, that just doesn't, it doesn't match up. Tarko Pratishtana, we say it in the Vedanta Sutra. Logic is, 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 is not sufficient to capture um, uh, the, the nature of reality. So there have to be other ways to, read, if you will. And so, of course, we're that's what the whole Varnashram is about. Hmm? How to interact with the world and nature, the sun, the wind, the moon, the tree, uh, and so forth, in such a way that, that, that what 
the message that's embedded in nature can be intuited and understood hmm? by revering aspects of nature that we're dependent upon, that our senses are dependent upon in order to function as we, as we like them to, to see, to taste and so forth, to show gratitude to, to the macrocosm by which that becomes possible, um, then, then, then in effect, the, the macrocosm nature begins to speak to them. We begin to speak the language now through worship. It's through worship and the symbolic way uh, of, of sacrifice and, and, and I want to say worship uh, again, that you find in Varnashram, which is everywhere. It's like gratitude everywhere, worship everywhere, face this direction, do it that, worship that way, face this direction, not that, and do it this way over here. <laughs> this is supposed to get nature to talk to you and nature's ultimate, the message to you is twofold. Hmm? The message is that you are my soul. You are the soul of the whole thing. You, and two, you have a source and all the gods and all the goddesses, if you will, this is what they're saying. These are all agents, right? Higher agents. They're all speaking like this through nature. You can't, you, why can't we see them? Because you don't freaking speak the language for God's sake. And, you, and you're not interested in learning it either because you're so intoxicated by, by you know, rational thought which is so impoverished, rational thought. I mean, what is reason um, and logic? What is logic? L logic from an Aristotelian point of view is about you know, five or six um, axioms that you believe in. <laughs> you can't prove them because to prove them would be circular because you're gonna pr prove logic by logic. That doesn't, that doesn't work. So uh, what logic is, is a belief in certain axioms. But even Aristotelian logic, there's other logic within mathematics that, that dismisses some of the axioms of Aristotelian logic that don't apply. So there's a, the idea is there's something beyond la, uh, uh, logic, behind, beyond the head. And in order to get there, you, have, you can use the head to an extent, but not unto itself. That will, that will be counterproductive. That for often say, if you use the head to soften the heart, you have to come to trans rational um, exercises, if you will. So the whole Varnashram is about trying to communicate with nature to read what the mind of God in the form of nature hmm, is saying to, to, to us. And, and again, it's twofold. You're a soul and, and you have a source and he's supreme even to us. Now, we can't do Varnashram very well because it, the, 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 the circumstances in the world being what they are and we're born outside of it, this and that. Well, we were fortunate to have Sadhu Sangha. We get right to the point, right? But, 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 you should, but, but in getting right to the point that you're the soul and, that, and, and there's a source, there's a supreme soul and so forth, um, uh, we, we, we have to be um, careful not to, not to do that or attempt to do it in a less than fully organic way, which you do arrive at gradually through the system of Varnashram. Therefore, it said first inquire about Dharma, now inquire about Brahman, now is the time to inquire about Rasa, right? Dharma Jagnasi, the first part of the, 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 the Vedas say. After that's done, now Atato Brahma Jagnasi, 
then Rasa Jignasu. So, but we're going Rasa Jignasu right from the start. Um, that's the that's the value of Sadhu Sangha, but uh, we need a lot of it and good Sadhu Sangha so that we that we actually imbibe it in an organic way and understand where we are in it all, how high it is, and we don't misconstrue it, and and, and so on and so forth. Um, so, I mean, I'm getting a little uh, away from your, you know, your, your question in a sense, but some thoughts I've been uh, pondering, sitting here close to nature as I do at Audaria and listening. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, the so music, you know, art, and these are, not, these are not logical ways of knowing, but they're ways of getting like an insight to cracking the door, you know, there's something more. What speak of actual, if you get the message, sadhana you know this is like opening the door these are ways for way for actually opening the door and seeing the the other other side over there and oh what can you say about it so you know the bhagavad gita's attempt to say something about it the narrative is in the context of Mahabharat, where there's a big war building up right and it's like building up chapter after chapter is it going to happen and there's a diplomacy and then finally it's not going to happen Every, the, the author of the Bob Bart's got everybody on the edge of their seat. Like the war is going to happen. All this political intrigue, romance, and everything that everybody's absorbed in materially. It's been talked about from you know, uh, on and on here. Now the war is going to happen. And, and what comes out, you know, Ahimsa. <laughs> Krishna says, this is one of the, you know, uh, aspects of, of, of knowledge you know and, and so and love is 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 the, is the doctrine here that's be, being taught you know so um that's all very appropriate at the dharma chitra the place of uh, where, where dharma is to be has been performed or, or, or you know taught in other levels now krishna is going to teach it personally and he's going to teach ultimately about prema dharma to Arjuna, as I emphasize in my edition of, 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 of the Gita. Um, and so why not have a war there? Um, you know, at least metaphorically speaking, you could say, or, you know, you could say literally um, uh, as, as well. Um, uh, I, I, uh, it's a good place to have it. Um, um, given the the um, fact that it's being used as an opportunity to <coughs> explain these teachings to Arjun, so those are some thoughts. Hope that helps. Bhagavad Gita ki jai, Kurukshetra ki jai. Hi, I have a question. Um, <clears throat> just having a discussion with some devotees the other day about relative and absolute statements in scripture. And I was wondering, is it, would it be accurate, may I said this, if I, I, that many of the statements that describe or define the configuration of matter in the world are relative since matter is mutable and ever-changing? Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, I think that... Um... <laughs> That's true, and I think that um, you know, matter was explored in the time of, let's say, the Bhagavad Gita was written 
from a certain perspective um, and with certain instruments. The perspective, all important, was, um, as I often say, what's out there, who's asking the question, with an emphasis on who's asking the question. Hmm? Um, when the emphasis on who's asking the question, then the details of what's out there are not as important as the overriding or a picture of matter being illusory and a veiling influence. So the teaching is what's in there is an atma, consciousness transcendent to time and space. And uh, consciousness is, is that, it's not a thing, it's that which all things appear within. It's fundamental. It's the most fundamental thing. Time and space are not fundamental. Consciousness is fundamental. Hmm? Um, and, 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 and so this, this being the emphasis and, and that, reality about the self which is explains the self to be much more expansive and a much greater potential uh, than the conventional sense of self which is one that's veiled by the outer world hmm? overshadowed by the influence of the outer world and and, and therefore the, the purpose of life hmm, is, is to come out from underneath that shadow and be, you know, all that you are, all that you could possibly be, right? Um, um, given that understanding and that emphasis, it's understandable that there's not, you're not driven by a necessity to find out all the details of exactly what, what's the speed of light. Hmm? Uh, now, uh, in modern society, since well, the scientific revolution, then since that time, you know, till today, there's been this building, building on exploring the details of what's out there and great, you know, and they, they have created instruments that are uh, extraordinary for being able to do so. Hmm? Uh, you know, go to the atom and go to the, you know, to the outer space and explore and so forth. Uh, so they're going to come up with more detailed explanation of how it works, so to speak, than you're going to find in the, in, in, in the Bhagavatam, for example. But the explanation of the outer world at the same time matter in the Bhagavatam is more comprehensive hmm, than modern uh, explanation of what matter is which is with which there is no explanation all that science does and has been doing continues to do is explain if you press down here and over here it comes up over there okay give that to technology and make something out of it cool that's what goes on it it, it tells us how nature works how matter works in certain circumstances it doesn't tell us anything about what it is what it is ultimately. Hmm? And what it is, is in a word is said, you know, two syllables, Maya. It's not what it appears to be. Hmm? And, and, and we only have a perception of what it is. We can't get away from that. <laughs> you, can't, you can't 
get to ver the virgin nature of matter. It's just not possible. Hmm? Uh, uh, of course, you know, we'll say ultimately matter is, is, is um, you know, as I said, the mind of God expressed. It's kind of an idealism, you know, kind of an idealism of sorts. Uh, it's not the idealism of, of that one individual mind is everything. And if it doesn't think about it, it didn't happen. It's not, you know, that problem slopism is not what we're talking about. There's a universal mind. Hmm? Um, you know, and it, you know, now that said, you can also look in a broad way at things that are said in the Bhagavad, for example, about nature and matter and what's said in the scientific community. And you can find some correlation. Like for example, in, 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 in theoretical physics, it's been uh, demonstrated that if a physical system is observed from a certain angle, it will function in a certain, certain me measurements, certain measurements will, will, will come out of that. If the same one is looked at from another direction, other measurements will come out of it that contradict those. And so it depends who's looking at it, how it responds. Now, there's a debate within modern science, physics, physics as to what constitutes an observer. Does it have to be a mind or could it be instrument? And there's a very good arguments for, yeah, it's actually a, a mind, it's consciousness, it has to be an observer. Hmm? Now, it's not that our mind observes and therefore something is or it's not, but there is a universal mind, right? Hmm? That's God. And what does the Bhagavatam say? What does the, what, what the Bhanishad say? Saikshita. He looked, he looked at it and there it was. Hmm? In other words, even modern science says in physics that without an observer it's not there it is the observation there is something called matter and it manifests as we know it by the by by being looked at some things only happen if you look at them if you're if someone's looking at them <laughs> otherwise they don't happen if someone's looking at you, you might act a certain way that you do that you don't otherwise so bhagavatam says he looks you know he glances this is a very profound uh, insight, just recently discovered, you know, in, in uh, modern science through experimentation, that ob observer has a significant role in 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 terms of what what's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, so yeah, um, but um, again, this is the Bhagavatam speaking in broad in broad ways that are significant that make its explanation of matter more, more, more comprehensive than the detailed explanations of matter that we get from modern science that says, this is this far away, this is the speed of light. Like take Einstein, you know, he, he, he took his main thing to discover the speed of light, right? I guess it, what, it, what it was, but, but he said, I tried to do this my whole life. I figured it out, but I, I don't know what light is. <laughs> I know what a speed is, but I don't even know what it is, what light is. He said that. So, uh, so the Bhagavatam comes to answer and said, see, you, you cannot know it. You can know so many things about it. And that could change too. Hmm? 
depends who's looking or what angle you look at it from or what universe it's going on and so forth. So Newton said, you know, and he's right, we all stand on the shore hmm, like a child playing with seashells of the ocean of truth. Hmm. This is, I mean, this is a guy who knew something, scientifically speaking, Newton. I mean, he's a giant, you know, a giant in physics. Hmm. And this is what he said. So, you know, who cares for these guys who you know, so, so proud of their, you know, understanding that they, they've done away with themselves in the context of, you know, explaining the world, done away with, they, they've made it, you know, a, 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 a desert in terms of meaning. It's just, there's, there's no, this is materialism, which, um, you know, prides itself in conjunction uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a comprehensive philosophy, of course it's, it's not in any way, but um, modern, modern science, it collects information, it puts it in the hands of techno technicians and they, and they do things with it that are, that are, that are far out and that haven't been done before. And, but, but does it mean we know the meaning of life from that? Uh, no. So I mean, I'm going on, I'm sorry, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. To, to take that, that kind of position. Um, there, 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 wasn't an, there wasn't an interest. If your main interest is, is who's in there asking the question, well then, you know, does it matter what the speed of light is? Do we have to go fly that high in the sky to know the, you know the meaning of life? Do we have to fly to the moon to find out who we are? Which is the bigger question, not, not, not how far the moon is. And what, what are people doing there? Well, figure out who you are here why you're here what the what the purpose is what maybe i'll focus on that you know so the whole thing is like great you're going here there and everywhere faster and communicating and 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 find, finding out uh, this that and the other thing it has some relative value and so forth but but it it it, it may for that matter get in the way of knowing the truth let's take let's take darwinian you know talk about science darwinian evolution so so if you look at evolution the very theory of evolution, uh, it, 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 it in no way says to us hmm, that we are human beings are evolving in such a way as to know the whole truth. It doesn't say that at all. It says you're evolving in such a way as to know how to survive. <laughs> Knowing how to survive and avoid death for as long as you can is, is, is not about understanding the whole picture of reality it's 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 even if, if you accept the evolutionary thesis and so forth well it's a very limited thing what it's saying it's interesting but i mean it's kind of dumb too i mean people species adapt according to circumstances to survive okay <laughs> i do that <laughs> i adapt circumstances change i left this kind i adapted you know i'm still alive you know, so uh, we, uh, so, you know, we, we have experience of that now, to, but to make more out of it, you know, it's nothing about, it's, it, it, there's nothing in evolution about that we're evolving and, and, and the whole function of evolution is that we buy it, we, we, we're going to know the whole truth. No, that's not what it's saying at all. So these are all interesting, these are all distractions in a sense. Hmm. They're distractions. They're, they're useful distractions, relatively speaking, um, 
but they don't have to be entirely uh, distractions. Um, I mean, it's good to make life easier uh, in, in some respects, if the time that's gained from it is used meaningfully to pursue you know, what, what reality is. I mean, it's billed as pursuing what reality is, but it's modern science and, and materialism, but it's based on the premise that, that reality is only material things, only matter, only physical things. Hmm. Well, 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 great, that doesn't make any sense. Um, hmm. There's no feeling, there's no emotion, there's no, uh, those, are, those are all illusory and unreal. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Materialism is a failed, failed, failed philosophy, and you will see it. In due course, it's already happening right now. There's a paradigm shift is taking place, I can tell you. I told you this before. Chris, science was born as a Christian. In its, in its boyhood, it became agnostic. And in its adolescence, in its, in its adulthood, it became an atheist. If it's going to live the old age, it has to become a mystic. Now you're going to, you're going to find more and more, more and more people in, invested in a scientific and modern philosophical approach to understanding um, the nature of reality are going to just throw up their hands with this idea of trying to make matter everything. It just does not work. Hmm? It, 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 I mean, <laughs> there's an objective and subjective aspects of life. Why do you want to do away with one? If you want to do away with one, do away with the objective one. That makes more sense than the subjective one. Hmm? These are two aspects of life. Anyway, you can't make experience out of non-experience. And we have experience. That's what the whole thing's about. As I said, Consciousness is that in which all things are found. It's not a thing inside of time and space. <laughs> no, time and space are found inside of consciousness. Hmm? They're, they're ideas, actually. Even I'll tell you another thing. In, in, now, in, 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 in modern physics, it's already, this is an example of how the paradigm shift is, take, is starting to happen. Hmm? Uh, that it's it, it's 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 starting to be understood. It is understood, but it's not talked about that much. That time and space are not the fundamental reality. This has been a, a thinking for a long time. Time and space are the fundamental reality. There's nothing beneath or beyond that. That is false. That 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 has been demonstrated to be false. Time and space are not the fundamental reality. So where do we go from there? Oh, we can try to find, well, why not consciousness is the fundamental reality? That's an interesting idea. Hmm. <laughs> so anyway, sorry for um, going off on it with your question, but um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think it was good what you what we explained that. It makes me, it reminds me of the story you tell about Prabhupada when they asked him how many windows were in the Empire State Building. Uh, and he, what said, did he, say? he said, as many drops as the, of water as there are in an illusion. Yeah, and then you have to see that the Empire State Building doesn't <laughs> even exist anymore. Uh -huh. Yeah. About yeah. even, you know, more of a confirmation of Prabhupada's wisdom. All right. Well, we're going a little over time. Yeah, well, thank you so much.
Sorry if I didn't get some of the questions, but we'll yeah, we had a couple more, but we'll come next week and you guys will get first in line if you're still right. interested in asking a question. And we'll Welcome. see you on when on Thursday, right? For what's um, Thursday? Alarm's parents' day. It's Thursday? I think so. Just, yeah, Thursday. The what's 11th. The 11th. Balaram Purim Kijai. Jai. So I'll see you Thursday, 11.30, same time, everyone. Hare Krishna. Jai. Jai.